But mothers have always felt that kick. I mean, it's in scripture for heaven's sakes. What's going on in the womb is actually in scripture all the way back then. So it's not that mothers haven't known, but now I think what we're saying is the Dobbs case, what's in front of the Supreme Court now, or even the Harpy case, these cases we're gonna talk about today, they they know, they've, they've looked at the pictures, they see, and, and there's no excuse. That's Victoria Cobb, president of the Family Foundation, talking today about how technology has made it impossible to ignore the full humanity of unborn babies and how that knowledge might impact the Supreme Court justices. Welcome to Speak Up Virginia, equipping you to speak up on the life, family, and freedom issues that matter most to you. From the Family Foundation, I'm your host, Candy Cushman, and I'm joined today by Victoria and also our legal counsel, Josh Hetzler. Well, since today's show is about two really big Supreme Court cases impacting whether we will protect the lives of unborn babies in the womb in this nation, I think it would be good just to start out talking about this really awesome event here we did in the Richmond Capitol with Students for Life recently. It was part of their statewide See Me Now tour, and the students did a rally at the Bell Tower in front of the Capitol, and then we all marched to the Family Foundation's front steps where we watched a live ultrasound. But right now, I just want to talk about something that you said, Victoria, at this event that I thought was really powerful. During your speech, you shared how each of your four kids has their own little file of the recording of their own ultrasound and how they've all heard their own heartbeats when they were in the womb. Tell me more about that. Yeah, it's a pretty cool thing. I mean, you know, they don't use color ultrasounds for medical purposes necessarily. Usually that's a black and white. But for commercial, literally you can go and it's a private screen that you do and you you get this beautiful, I think it was like a 30, 45 minute session where you get to watch your unborn child on this beautiful color um, you know, movement, and and then they record it, and you take that file home. And so um, we decided we absolutely wanted to take advantage of that. We did it for our first, and then once you've done it, you know, you're going to do yeah. it for all of your kids. And, you know, the more I think about it, it's just how cool is it? I mean, many of us have seen the printout our parents might have had of the ultrasound or our friends have had, but this, to be able to see something where it's actually – a video, you know, of the experience. It's just the coolest thing. And so, yeah, I was making the point uh, that it's hard not to be pro-life if you've literally seen yourself in the womb. Uh, I think that that yeah, changes your heartbeat. Yeah, it womb. changes the dynamics of you understanding that a, a mother would actually make the choice not to bring that life into this world. So definitely part of raising up that next pro-life generation where they understand that it absolutely is a life. We, we, we can't underestimate the role that technology has played in making the next generation more pro-life. I mean, they've seen it in a way that our parents couldn't have. And so they they know there's nothing. Um, you, you can't mince words. You can't act like it's not a human being when it's visually and audiologically there. You can hear it. You can see it. They, they know. Well, that brings me into the next part of your speech at that event, which also was just a really good point. You were talking about how science and uh, technology have fully verified what mothers have always known to be true, that abortion is the taking of a human life. Yeah, I mean, this is a little different than back when it was 
when Roe was decided, you know, I, I get why you can, when you don't have the images we have now, somebody could try to make the argument that it's just a blob, you know, that we don't know what's really in there. But mothers have always felt that kick. I mean, it's in scripture for heaven's sakes. What's going on in the womb is actually in scripture all the way back then. So it's not that mothers haven't known, but now I think what we're saying is the Dobbs case, what's in front of the Supreme Court now, or even the Harpy case, these cases we're going to talk about today, they they know they've they've looked at the pictures they see and and there's no excuse so science is saying if if this is the role of government you got to protect this life too now that's interesting because as part of these cases the supreme court has had to review the development of a child um you know starting at at least 15 weeks in utero and so what do you think they would have taken from that or should have taken from that looking at that development process I just don't think there's – so there's been this arbitrary line for court decisions, which has been around this idea of viability, when a child can be – it can exist outside the womb. But if if it's not viability, which, by the way, changes as science changes, right? You know, it used to be a child could be saved at 28 weeks, and now a child can be saved sometimes at 20 – I mean, we've seen 24 weeks. And, I mean, so it's, it's a constant moving line. And so I think the court knows this is not – this is arbitrary. This is random because – it's just whether science has caught up with, um, you know, with the viability standard. And so then the question becomes, well, what would be another standard if it's not that, which I think they know that's not a reasonable standard anymore, then what is it? And at 15 weeks, you've got all the other metrics. You've got the heartbeat. You've got the body parts. You, you're what I think it's going to be so clear to the court that this is a human life and that they have to protect it. Well, now that the Supreme Court has heard the arguments on that case, we definitely want to hear the whole analysis of all the comments made during that hearing. And we are bringing in our legal counsel, Josh Hetzler, a little bit later into the show for that part of the analysis. But in the meantime, I'll just mention that when we were doing this ultrasound in front of our building, it really did kind of give you chills to see that live heartbeat and hear the baby's heartbeat right there out on the street where everyone can see that evidence of life. And so, of course, it brought to mind the Texas heartbeat law that's been the subject of so much controversy. So before we get into the big Dobbs case, I just want to spend a little time getting your thoughts on this other case the Supreme Court has also heard involving the Texas law. Yeah, this is a really fascinating law, and it's already having major impact on abortion. We have seen that number in Texas plunge as much as 50 percent in this first month. And I'm telling you, that's what we're, that's why we go after these laws is to save those lives. Um, I, I, You know, it's just already, of course, drawing all these legal attacks that Biden administration's Justice Department and, of course, all the national abortion groups have joined forces to try to convince the U.S. Supreme Court that uh, they should be able to challenge it. So they, they, they're trying to, you know, say that they have the right to uh, challenge this. Well, in kind of looking at the analysis from the arguments on that, the Texas heartbeat law, it seems like the pro-abortion side was really just trying to hinge their entire case on this idea that the Texas law disrespects Supreme Court precedent because abortion is supposedly this big federally protected constitutional right. I, I felt like that was kind of what their arguments were hinging on. And they were kind of trying to make this case that the Texas law sort of jimmies the system to circumvent anyone from being able to challenge it at the federal level. What would your response be to that, that they're trying to base this on, well, this should be a protected, you know, constitutional right that you can't get around? Yeah, well, we obviously completely disagree that that is a protected right. In You know, everyone, even legal scholars on the other side of Roe versus Wade originally said, this is actually bad law. There really isn't a right to 
abortion that you can find in the Constitution. So they can argue the law is trying to, to work itself around that, but that thing doesn't even really exist. So we would say the law is being creative. And I think as a matter of strategy, this is incredibly important because this is the first time we've been able to see a restriction on abortion of this magnitude go into effect. And guess At what? At the state level. Yes, and, and the world has not ended. And in mm. fact, lives have been saved, which is exactly the point. And I think America kind of needed to see that happen to get comfortable with, yes, yeah. this is what the world looks like after Roe versus Wade. Yeah, the world did not end when half of the abortions were cut. You know, yeah. In fact, I think a lot of those moms are going to be real happy <laughs> that they now have these beautiful children. Um, and we keep saying this, but I can't say it enough, that women don't choose abortion. They feel compelled towards abortion because they don't think they have the support in the moment. This is not like, a, 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 a you know, you go shopping, you pick one thing versus another. No, this is if women understood the support available to them and it weren't such an easy option to, and you thought it was just, hey, I'm going to just get an abortion and erase all this, which never is how it actually plays out. There's regret and just tragedy around it. But we just think that these women are going to experience this support and have this baby and and it's going to life's going to look different than they expected it to look. Thanks for tuning in if you're just now joining us for Speak Up Virginia, brought to you by the Family Foundation. For more information about us or the topics we're addressing, you can visit familyfoundation.org. That's familyfoundation.org. And we will abolish abortion, abortion hurts women. Women deserve What you heard just now is the wonderful sound of thousands of people on the steps of the Supreme Court, many of whom were young students speaking up for life. And our team was there because that was the day of the hearing for what really is the most significant case on abortion in some 30 years. And here to analyze that a little bit with us is Josh Hetzler, our legal counsel with the Founding Freedoms Law Center. Well, that's right, Candy. It was so amazing to actually be on the court steps that day and hear the legal arguments being broadcast in real time from the loudspeakers. I think this may have been the very first time that's ever happened. And I know having been there for several other of these rallies, this was a big deal because normally you don't get to hear what's going on inside or no. You have to wait until later when it's recorded. But this time we got to as if we were in the room itself. And this case was the Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Center, which involves a lawsuit challenging Mississippi's right to pass a law that essentially bans abortion after 15 weeks. And this case really has the potential to eliminate abortion status as a, quote, constitutional right. Yeah, and the court is considering that case now, and it probably won't actually have a decision until at least summer. In the meantime, we all need to be praying Now, in our last segment on this show, Victoria pretty accurately predicted that viability, the point at which a baby can survive outside the womb, would be a really significant issue in this case. Josh, what are your thoughts on that after seeing how the oral arguments actually played out? So viability was certainly a very important component to this case. And I think in particular because it really was part of the central holding of the Roe v. Wade and the Planned Parenthood versus Casey decisions. The court essentially said that the states cannot regulate abortion or restrict a right to abortion before viability, which uh, most would say it's around 23 or 24 weeks. But in this case, Mississippi actually made it illegal to have abortions after 15 weeks. 
So one of the most significant things about this case is that because Mississippi has a law that bans abortions after 15 weeks, it necessarily challenges the central holding in Roe and Casey of the viability standard. And this viability standard, as was talked about in the oral arguments, is really an arbitrary line because as we've heard about how technology has progressed, we see that children, uh, unborn children can live earlier and earlier outside of the womb. But it's, it's widely understood that 15 weeks is still well before viability. So if the court were to hold in Mississippi's favor and uphold the law, they would necessarily have to uh, go away or undo the Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey decisions altogether. And it sounded like most of the conservative justices, you know, they sounded at least open to the idea of dismantling those underpinnings of Roe and Casey, although some people thought Justice Roberts was trying to find a middle ground. But another thing that was interesting is that once again, we saw abortion advocates really hinging their entire argument around this idea that you cannot deviate from court precedent. And of course, current precedent says that abortion is a so-called constitutional right, especially before viability. And in fact, we heard Justice Sotomayor using some pretty strong language about that, warning that the court would not be able to, quote, survive the stench, unquote, of supposedly making you know, the court looked political by overturning that precedent. So, Josh, what is your response to all those, you know, very passionate arguments that we're hearing that they can't deviate from that precedent? It was really interesting hearing the whole women's health side argue this case because their case essentially rested on this one idea that they should win because the court should uphold its old decisions no matter what. And that that's really kind of an absurd concept when the Supreme Court is really the ultimate arbiter of judicial opinions. And many times in the past, they've overturned things that they've done. And one of the things that came up in the case that was emphasized were the slavery cases like Dred Scott and Plessy versus Ferguson, separate but equal. And it was talked about how those cases, it took a while for the court to overturn their bad rulings, but they did it. And it was the right thing to do. And it was constitutional. And so I really didn't think that the other side had very good arguments. They essentially said, well, the precedent must stand unless, even if it's wrong constitutionally, unless there's a really, 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 really good reason uh, to, to do it. And in this case, if there was ever a really, really good reason to do it, it would seem to protect the life of unborn human beings. So I just, it, it was a very weak argument on their part but a, a very interesting one. Yeah, those are excellent points, Josh. And the bottom line is, if Roe does end up being eventually overturned, right now we would have more than 20 states that will likely ban or severely restrict the killing of unborn children in the womb. But sadly, Virginia is not one of those states, at least not right now. So we still have plenty of work to do. And if you're listening to this and you want to find out how you can be part of being proactive and restoring pro-life protections to the Commonwealth, please head over to our website, familyfoundation.org. That's familyfoundation.org. Well, it's that time again. Time for our Inconceivable Moments Award. This is where we're featuring examples of the absolute lunacy and craziness that happens when cultural leaders try to give guidance completely apart from biblical principles. And we're calling this 
the Liberals' Most Inconceivable Moments Award. Inconceivable! Well, since we've been talking about the Dobbs case today, it did seem appropriate that our Inconceivable Award should be about something that happened at that rally in front of the Supreme Court. And we now have seen those news reports and videos of these women taking abortion pills together in unison right there by the court. Yeah, I didn't see it in person. I was on the pro-life side of the rally, but I did see the video afterwards, and it was incredibly disturbing, to say the least, watching all those women pop those pills while shouting that they were proud of it was definitely something new, I think, for, our, for this cultural moment. I think they were a part of an organization called Shout Your Abortion. Yeah, that's right. Let's just listen to a quick clip from that. Abortion pills are in our hands and we won't stop. Abortion! Abortion! You know, I wonder if the optics of that whole demonstration were what they really intended them to be. Because doesn't it just bring to mind, you know, these images from these infamous cults where people drank poison together? I don't think that's the optic they were intending, but I just can't help thinking of it. I'm not sure, Candy. It did kind of seem a little cult-like to me in, in a similar way that you were describing. But in this case, it seems that they were promoting abortion pills being mailed straight to your home so that anyone can have an abortion essentially anywhere. I do think, Josh, that is going to be the next wave of this battle, these chemical abortions. But overall, for me, this really just made it tangible, the very real spiritual forces at play here. Because you had Christians, you know, praying together at the Supreme Court, worshiping uh, our Lord. And then tragically, at the very same time, there were others in the crowd choosing to celebrate the destruction of human life in ways like this. Yeah, it was a very stark reminder that really this is a spiritual battle, first and foremost. I, like I said before, I've been to a number of these rallies, and there was really none like this one. It really goes to the heart of the value of human life that, that God created. So it nothing could be more spiritually charged than this. Obviously, those spiritual forces are having an influence. Obviously, we need to be in prayer for what's happening, not only for those women and for those who were there, but for these Supreme Court justices who are now going to be under tremendous spiritual and cultural pressure. I absolutely agree. Well, I guess that means we have to give this week's award to the Shout Your Abortion Rally demonstrators. But on a more redemptive note, I think we can take heart that God's love, truth, and salvation does ultimately prevail. Absolutely. And we know from Scripture that God counts every life as precious, including unborn lives. And I can't help but think of Psalm 139, where the psalmist says that God knits together the babies in the womb. That's a great thought, Josh. Thanks for joining us for this week's Speak Up Virginia, brought to you by the Family Foundation. Visit us at familyfoundation.org. That's familyfoundation.org. See you next time. And don't forget, we are stronger when we speak together.